there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Hey, Dr. Batar, I, I, I got to tell you something Ty told me, but don't tell, don't tell Ty I told you, okay? Say this on the radio, right? <laughs> I, well, I, I guess everyone else can hear it too. But Ty said you 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 really rocked it out on uh, Coast to Coast AM the other night. You you and he were on, and he uh, said you did great. Don't tell him I told you. He said don't tell Doctor Batar that that I said he did great. Oh well, yeah. He called me. He uh, sent me a text afterwards, and he said it was it was good. I mean, I didn't really know what they were looking for, but I, you know, I just did my thing, and and it was uh, it ended up being well received. So it was, I'm glad it was uh, well received. Yeah, you know, if this keeps up, people are going to think you guys like each other or something. I know <clears throat> we can't uh, we can't damage that uh, reputation that we have standing. Actually, you know what? I think we pretty much damaged it at uh, Dr. King's event because yes. we were both sitting in the back. You remember you were sitting in the front, right? Oh yeah, I was kind of moderating that whole panel that you were on, and you guys were. That's right. Remember, you were sitting, you were standing on the side. That's right. You were keeping us all in check. But if you remember, <laughs> Ty and I were sitting in the back, and everybody else was sitting in the front. And I saw some images that one of my staff members posted on Facebook, and it looked like that we had our own little monkey show going on in the back. And uh, Dr. King came up behind us and, you know, had his arms around both of our necks, so we weren't sure exactly what. But we felt, we didn't know what was going to happen, but we felt like we'd been <laughs> about to be reprimanded. Yeah, well, he was a, he's a doctor of chiropractic as well, so he's probably just adjusting you to keep you in line. Well, it, was, uh, it did feel good. It felt oh good. yes, so. he's got a good healing energy. But yeah, it was it was hilarious. You guys together. Well, you know, we all have a great time together. And I think there's a picture from that event too, where you 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 guys are on either side of me, and I'm literally falling down laughing about something. I don't know what it was, but it's just like one of those moments where you capture. And I you know I love the fact that we we over the years that we're together, we cover some very serious topics, you know, but we leave room for that. Vitamin L is the love, also the laughter. Uh, that so many, you know, because it gets pretty serious, it gets pretty scary. I've talked about the Ebola thing because I have to follow it with Super Don, all these stories that you don't have to pay attention to. But people are, you know, living in a heightened state of fear and anxiety all the time now. Yeah, I think that it's probably a camaraderie that you see in in all high-intense type of uh, groups. For example, when I was with um, uh, the SF, when I was in the Army, Mm-hmm. It was and, and if, with the second ID group as well, and but I was attached to the 101st Air Assault Division. It was the same type of thing, you know. A lot of these guys, you, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when the next call is going to come. You don't know where you're going to be deployed half the time. You know, you got to take off your dog tags half the time. You just don't know what's going to happen. But it's a very jovial attitude because you realize that the little things just don't matter. I mean, at the end, you don't know when it's your time and. You realize it's a journey, and you realize it's a trip, and you just enjoy the trip. You know, you, it's, it's a it's a cool ride, and you just enjoy it. And so, there's no reason to get so enamored and so worked up about your own um your, your own baggage. Really, is what it comes mm-hmm. down to. Today, I had a patient a patient I was mentioning to you over the air uh, before we got on the air. Uh, somebody who's known me a long time. I took care of his wife. She had a diagnosis of cancer over ten years ago and had been given a six-month prognosis, and we uh, took care of her, and 
she uh, came out of it and lived for almost another 10 years. Uh, so this guy knows the, you know, he basically knows our track record. He, he's, he's known us for a long time, but now he was diagnosed with cancer and he was in the clinic. Uh, and we had this conversation, and it was one of those things that he had a friend with him, and he was very, very upset and anxious, and his respiratory rate was really fast, and he had this the metastasis to his lungs and from his colon metastasis to lungs and liver and, and uh, lymphatic system. And we started talking, and I was just talking like I'm talking to you, and less than three minutes, his chest, his, his uh, rapid respiratory rate came back to normal. Uh, just He's talking away normal. And then I pointed out to the friend that was with him, and he said, yeah, it's very, very conspicuously uh, obvious that how his breathing rate changed. And I said it's because of the anxiety, the fear, the unknown, the prognosis of one oncologist saying, this is the worst case I have ever seen in my life. And I said, listen, mm-hmm. you just walked into my office. I can't even tell you your, your color of your skin's great. You've obviously been doing certain things, continued from the last 10 years that what you learned when now was taking care of your wife. You're walking, you're talking, you're not dependent on a wheelchair. You know, what do you mean the worst case? You've got a stage four cancer with four different sites, metastasis to four different sites. And you look great. So when somebody says that this is the worst case I've ever seen, that guy must not have seen very much cancer. And the friends start <laughs> laughing. He goes, yeah, that's a, actually exactly what the second oncologist said, that you know, that first oncologist must not have seen so much. But it enamors a person and gets them so worked up because they put the doctors on such a high pedestal. And so I right. think that laughter, the series you're talking about, the laughter, the vitamin L, love, you know, I talk, mm-hmm. in my book uh, I talk about it as the laughter. I think it's so crucial to all aspects of life because it brings down... Uh, everything into a re, what's the word uh, in, into an even playing field. You know, it makes right, you realize right. that it's, it's all cool. Everything is good. Whatever it is, it's good. And you're not dealing with a, a, a demigod doctor. You know, I was talking to a woman this evening, an elderly woman, very nice, sweet lady, uh, who had just she had had breast cancer in the past and had it removed, and she now had gone in because she had a, a, a endoscopy of some kind. No, actually, what is the, what was the kind where they're coming in through the planet Uranus to look in the colon there? Colonoscopy. And, yeah, and they found another cancerous growth. Uh, they removed it, but there was some some drainage still happening, and she's going back to consult with the surgeon, and the surgeon says, uh, I'm not going to do the surgery unless you go on chemotherapy. And she's like, they didn't say that I had this metastasis all over my body. There's nothing else going on. Repair me. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And she talked to me about it. I said, you know, find another surgeon. That's outrageous, you know, that the way he, he, he was treating That's a very, very me. common thing, though, Robert. Yeah. That's, I mean, that is a that is... Uh, standard operating procedure, that's modus operandi for most doctors. Do this or we're not going to do our part. Meaning that, mm-hmm. you know, they're, in their world, if you're not doing if you're not doing what they're asking you to do, you're basically setting them up for failure. And so they don't want to have that failure, so they want to make sure that you followed all the, quote, standard of care so yeah. that they don't get in hot water. And it's a yeah, very, I, very I, common, it's very disturbing, but it's very yes. common. And I told her to find another surgeon, and she already did. And she said, yeah, I found someone who will work with me. I said, great. And it was great because, you know, with what little information she had, she 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 wasn't overly intimidated, where I could see they could easily do that to look at her, and she would be a pushover. But she knew she stood her ground because she said she felt something was wrong in her gut on that level. And I said, that's beautiful. I love that. Uh, that that you didn't you didn't bow down to the pressure of someone who was playing a, you know a, a, an intimidation game. 
You don't need that. I said exactly what we're talking about right now. You need people that are going to love you and uplift you and laugh with you. And even your doctor that should be, you want to feel good around your doctor. Even if they're doing something we might disagree with, it's going to be a whole lot better if that doctor has that life spirit flowing through him or her rather than an authoritarian uh, hammer blow with every visit. Yeah, and this is a very important thing because you don't know what's going to happen when the doctor is in a situation of control and you're not aware. For example, when you're under anesthesia, I'll give you a perfect example of a uh, lady that I'm treating right now who has two different primary tumors, and she's actually a pharmaceutical rep, was a pharmaceutical rep, an ex-pharmaceutical rep, and uh, very, very against Big Pharma now, obviously. But it's interesting that her surgeon had opened her up to put a, to place a port, and when they went in there, it was interesting that they found that the surgeon opened her up, and when he went to place a port, just wanted to look around and saw that what he thought or what they thought was cancer, it was something, a lot of inflammatory uh, tissue, but it wasn't cancer. And he went ahead and placed the port. They were supposed to place the port and do, that's right, it was supposed to be um, uh, localized chemo where they were going to basically, there's certain types of chemo that you can actually administer mm-hmm. in the system, interperitoneal. And so that's, there was actually an interperitoneal procedure, but they were also going to put a port cath in. So when they opened her up, and they put the port in, then they opened her belly up to start doing this peritoneal chemotherapy. He saw that there was inflammatory cascade, but the tissue was not cancerous. Wow. And he stopped, closed her up, and told her, this isn't cancer. Now, do you know how many other oncologists, I told him, I, said, I told this lady, I said, do you know how many oncologists, surgical oncologists, would have still continued to give you the chemo? And she said, I really don't know, Dr. Patron. And I said, the vast majority would have. Because this guy had to now admit that he was wrong. And not only that he was wrong, he had to not take a step back and admit that he just did an unnecessary surgery. But he did both of those things. And I told her, I said, you need to go back and thank that surgeon because most of them wouldn't have done it. And had he started that procedure, you would be a dead woman. Mm. And, and she knew it. She said, I know I would have been dead. So I said, wow. you make sure you go back to that oncologist, and that surgical oncologist, and you thank him because he did the right thing. And very, very few doctors will, will do the right thing in a situation like that. And that's why it comes back to your statement just now that your doctor has you have to feel good about that doctor because it's resonating with you and 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 that resonation is a validation back to you it's a feedback mechanism to you that if circumstances become uh, detrimental or, or, or you're not aware of everything this person whose energy you're feeling will do right by you they will do what's supposed to be done regardless of what the implications or regardless of what the the, the, the blowback is to them. And that's what that surgical oncologist did. And, I mean, I was, I was really, you know, I was touched. The guy. I don't know who the person is, but I did tell the patient to go back and thank, thank the surgical oncologist. Yeah. And it's not something we see that often. I, at least no, it's, I, a, it, it's actually a profound story. I'm glad it kind of built on what I was discussing, and you've added so much to that. And, and that, you know, if you're choosing a doctor, and this could be, you know, choosing a homeopath as well. I've met some homeopaths that are real. Any healer. It doesn't yeah. matter. Homeopath, yeah. chiropractor, naturopath, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, to have that situation occur, to rely that, that there's going to be a level of integrity that says, you know, I'm, I'd rather do the right thing than cover up my mistakes so I don't get in trouble. And, of course, we've covered stories about this where if people were just, you know, let's say if a doctor were willing to say, you know, I messed up, I'm sorry, most people are not going to 
attack. They attack because they, they felt like they've been done wrong and the doctors are, are covering it up because they're instructed to or whatever. So it's another aspect of human relationships. I said, you got to have a human being that you're working with, not a robot. Yeah, absolutely, Robert. And, and, and you know it, that feeling that you get, what you were talking mm-hmm. about, that, uh, that feeling of comfort, of, of security, that's, that's that feeling. That's what we're talking about. That's yeah. what you need to zero in on. By the way, if you want to see Dr. Batari still being featured, uh, seemingly every night you're in this thing because you're doing such a good job, and the quest for the cures continues thanks to TMB out there. He's uh, Go to the truthaboutcancer.com. If you haven't signed up, just put in your email. You'll get a code to watch it after the show is over tonight, and then you can end up buying the whole series, and you'll see, I think, some of the most profound and simple-to-understand things are coming out of whose mouth? Dr. Rashi Batar. When we come back... Of course, you can go to medicalrewind.com and get the older shows we've done. They're all still good. I want to talk about epigenetics with Dr. Batar because some people say, oh, it's the cancer. It's all in your genes. Is it really? We've got an interesting story about ice storm epigenetics coming up after the break. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. All right, Advanced Medicine, the Medical Rewind here with Dr. Rasha Bittar, medicalrewind.com. If you miss a show, easiest way to download it, go right to the hundreds and hundreds of hours we have together talking about bringing the power to heal back to you. Of course, Dr. Bittar's international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, linked up right in the show notes. Just click on the banner. You'll see it, and it'll take you right to it. Dr. Bittar, cool story. We often talk about epigenetics, and people go, hey, that's too, that's too complicated. I can't do that. But here's an interesting story that covers the ice storm of 1998 up in uh, Montreal, Quebec, Canada. That was brutal. And they went back and looked at the children, the offspring of the women who were pregnant during that time, and they found an interesting commonality of genetic expression. And it kind of maybe can help people understand what this epigenetics is all about. Yeah, I think that the story uh, proves how incredibly sophisticated this machinery is that the Creator created. And it's, it's actually indicative of how... Uh, the feedback mechanism that's set up to make sure that we are able to adjust as within our own lifetime. The, the phenotypic expression of our genome is able to be expressed and changed in such a short period of time. It's very, very fascinating. And it's yeah, so, surprised at all. But it's, yeah, what, they, what they're saying here is that these women were under a lot of inordinate stress, and somehow I don't know who had the idea to look at the offspring of women that were pregnant this time, but I think it's a pretty interesting question. Unlike the things that, that we sometimes we scratch our head and go, why they study that? I like that they studied this because what we learn, again, validates that, you know, you change the environment, you literally change genetic expression in, in that moment. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so what... Very, very... What, and it's, and it's happening constantly. It's not, you know, it shows that in this short period of time, because it's the the gestational period is only nine months. So in a nine-month period, there was enough of an adjustment created from the environment to trigger a change that would benefit or that would be adaptogenic, if you will, to help the new offspring survive in an environment that was drastically different than what was supposed to be or what the parent had been um, you know, housed in. So it, it, it's it's just um, I, I have to say, Robert, mm-hmm. just understanding as you, as you do how the body works, it is not surprising 
to see this at all. It's right. really, really cool. And it goes back to some of the work that's been already done by some of the scientists where the environment is actually the trigger and this entire causation factor with the gene being the ultimate regulator of everything has been proven to be you know, false, that it's really the environmental trigger that it causes the protein to express what it needs to express and that that's the key. And Yes. Well, and, and this message, unfortunately, didn't get through to like movie stars like Angelina Jolie, who are convinced because they have a brick of gene mutation and they've had sisters and aunts and moms all get breast cancer and uterine cancer of some kind or ovarian, that those organs have to be removed versus what we're talking about here, validated in science to say, no, 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 it doesn't have to be that way, but you have to do something different. Yeah. And, and, and you're right, but I think that you and I both know that I was more of a that was more of a publicity ploy than anything else. Yeah, and, and irrespon- dangerously irresponsible, in my opinion, because how many people look up to these movie stars and say, I want to be like her, and they have a prophylactic lopping off of their breasts, uh, you know, completely unnecessarily. And, and even if you have what they might determine to be a genetic proclivity or predisposition because it, quote-unquote, runs in your family, to not communicate to these these women that, there's something called epigenetics. To me, it's like, are doctors really that far behind? I mean, it's kind of a silly question, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, I totally agree with you. And it's, it, is a, it is a question that needs to be asked. And sometimes just the asking of the right question causes a shift in the paradigm to occur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also goes to those that are too close or, or let's say too quick to cut, so to speak. You know, we recognize there is value when necessary in an intervention me- uh, means, but in many cases, even the idea of sticking a needle into a cancerous tumor can cause it to spread suddenly to metastasize where it was contained. And so the penchant for cutting or injecting or removing is something that I, I think it's overused and abused to the point of danger. Yeah, I think that you're right, Robert. I would have to agree with that. And we see this in you know, the tracking example that you just gave of the uh, of a tumor, for example, I think that sometimes, um, even though I agree with what you're saying, I think sometimes the intention of what's mm-hmm. happening uh, also has a huge contribution to the ultimate outcome. Because if an individual is really fearful of a outcome, they can, they can almost create it. It's almost like a self-fulfilling Right. Well, when we come back from this break, more of Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rasha Bittar. He's at drbuttar.com. Of course, the nine steps to keep the doctor away linked up, and that is an extraordinary book, A Gift of Healing. I'm thinking already, if you haven't gotten it, get 10 copies. My goodness, how good it will be to communicate to your family and friends and loved ones this information, this empowering information. Back after this. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. Robert, 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 Scott, 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 Bell. Let's take a walk on the wild side. Then. You're everywhere, baby. Radio, TV, the papers. Am I right or am I right or am I right? Robert Scott Bell. 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 All right, back at it with Dr. Rasha Bittar, Advanced Medicine. Remember, medicalrewind.com, easy way to catch up on all the things. If you're new to this, oh, my gosh, have you just entered into a whole new world of health, healing, and empowerment like nowhere else 
in broadcast media. Dr. Batar, we and I were just talking about epigenetics, a great story uh, about that manifesting, gene expression changing within within the span of a pregnancy, and it, and it was common among so many in an, a specific environment. Now we have another study here that sort of kind of d- doesn't get it, but recognizes there's something called epigenetics, but they talk about genetic predisposition in this. Can you explain, help make sense of this story, Dr. Batar? It's on MedPage today. We have it linked up in the show notes. Study links enterovirus in kids to type 1 diabetes. Well, Robert, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but, again, this is one of those types of studies. For me, it's the moment of duh, but let me, <laughs> let me kind of go back a little bit. Uh, the, the study is good in the sense that they do talk about the <clears throat> relationship of the genetic predisposition. They do mention that and how that's an important component of this. But, again, the children that have type 1 diabetes, they this study clearly shows that there is an increased exposure to the enterovirus. Now, my question is, why? Why do they have a greater exposure to, to any kind of virus, for that matter? Because they're immunocompromised. Why are they immunocompromised? Because they've been given vaccines. So they've had thimerosal, and they've had formaldehyde, and they've had nickel, and they've got aluminum on, on these vaccines. So their immune systems are dumbed down, and this goes back to looking at the literature for mercury toxicity. When an individual gets a vaccine with an immunosuppressive agent, and then they get a virus introduced in there, an attenuated virus, <clears throat> they also become susceptible to other types of viruses because their immune systems have been suppressed by the preservatives, by the adjuncts, et cetera, et cetera. And the beta islet cells of the pancreas that are responsible for making insulin get damaged. Uh, they become susceptible to their, their attack by these opportunistic infections, and they cause uh, basically the, the beta islet cells no longer to work properly. And so, Now, Dr. Batar, let me ask you, am I being unreasonable to say, and I've been positing this for years, that I perceive the vast majority of type 1 diabetes in, happening in childhood is vaccine-induced? It's a genetic predisposition for the inability to excrete, and the ones that can't excrete the poisons as well as the other ones can become susceptible. And the ones that are being injured by these vaccines, I am am convinced that's what it exactly is. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, let's put it this way. The incidence of type 1 diabetes is clearly going up. In fact, in the study they even said, you know, they asked the question, why is it going up? Why is the incidence going up? And yes, we do have a crappy diet, that's true, but worldwide everybody doesn't have a crappy diet, and yet type 1 diabetes is going up in the global population. It's because of the vaccines. Well, and, and, and they're promoting in this case perhaps maybe we need to develop a new vaccine for the enterovirus. Right. Why not? <laughs> yeah, the money is Ask there. Ask the fire and add insult to injury. Yeah. Well, and it's much like, much like and I hesitate to bring up Ebola again, but... Uh, you know, as I've been looking back in the medical literature and saying, you know, they can't even identify one virus and one cause for these hemorrhagic fevers. There are many causes for hemorrhagic fevers, and they're utilizing technology that is not specific, that is cross-reactive, that takes and amplifies unknown genetic debris and hundreds of millions of times of amplification to find out, oh, yeah, that's the thing we claim it to be. And it doesn't meet Koch's postulates with if you have viruses replicating in your body, causing an infection, you can find it and isolate it relatively easily. It wouldn't take amplification of hundreds of of millions of magnitude. Exactly. That's exactly right. But you see, the process is then not conducive to increasing 
dependency on vaccines and dependency on medications and drugs, and uh, the population would become actually healthier. Uh, and so that's not what the desired end game is. And so, of course, we're not going to see those type of things. Yeah. Well, again, the, these are the things when we talk about agendas. There are many people in medicine or even in research that may have no earthly idea. They don't have an understanding like we talk about the body in this way or even epigenetics, even though they they probably should with their level of education and training. But in so many ways, the, the medical blinders have been put on them in medical schools to look only at certain things in certain ways. And so if they're taught never to look at a vaccine, it's not possible that a vaccine could cause any of these things, and they'll never even consider it. And so we're out, out, they're outraged at us for even bringing it up. Yeah, well, you know, it's, <clears throat> their outrage is not my concern, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you don't sweat their small stuff, but uh, they get pretty upset. I mean, I've had some people yell at me recently because, you know, our audience is growing again. Uh, we've been getting a lot more exposure through our good buddy uh, Jerry Doyle and the show there. You were just on uh, Coast to Coast AM and, and with Ty, and that's, that shot your book right back up to the top of the charts, which is awesome. I'm so thrilled that that has happened. And, of course, the truth about cancer series is, is opening eyes around the world. Hundreds of thousands of people evidently are now exposed to this message, and it's so radically different than what they've learned in the establishment, uh, let's say, education system all the way up to the doctorate level. Yeah, um, it's there's there's that old adage, Robert, that uh, just because somebody has a high level of education mm-hmm. does not mean that they're not ignorant. Mm-hmm. Uh, because remember, ignorance is not it's not that's not a detrimental term. Ignorance just means not knowing the facts. So somebody can be educated and still not be educated. They can be educated, right. but but they're still ignorant of the fact. Sure. So a level of education and a degree is not something that means anything to me. Hmm. Uh, it just means that a person may have a greater propensity to be blindsided because they've bought into a dogma. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, it's not... We, we see this all the time. I mean, we, we, you, you see people that truly are inquisitive and, and naturally want to learn, and the more they learn, the more they realize there's more to learn than they realize. And, you know, you feel like that chimpanzee in that poster that's scratching his head reading the book, going, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Right, right. Uh, and, and that's really what life is about, because I believe that once you think you know everything, then it's time for the Creator to take us. <laughs> well, yeah, again, we're, we're out of here at that point. We don't need to be here. And, of course, if you choose to remain ignorant when confronted with facts that uh, kind of don't support that ignorant view... You become an ignoramus, which is different. Ignoramus. Just want to make sure you know the difference. Listen, we got a phone call coming in. Katie's in California calling into the Robert Scott Bell Show. You are on with Dr. Batar. It's Advanced Medicine. Katie, welcome. Thank you so much, Robert. It's great to talk to you. You Love got it. Well, it's fantastic. You, <laughs> you're on with Dr. Batar as well. What, what can we help you with, or do you have a comment? I actually wanted to talk, you know, talk about... Um, how maybe whole whole plant food vitamin C could be maybe helpful with the Ebola, and I, it's kind of maybe off the topic of your vaccines here, but um, mm-hmm. I just you know I'm looking for answers for my family, my my cli- my patients, and things like that, and um, I just feel like that that um, with the 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 severity of the hemorrhagic, you're talking about the hemorrhagic fevers and things right. like that, you know, yeah. from the virus and everything. Um, do you guys have, like, any feedback on that at all? 
Sure. And Katie, by the way, are you a health care provider as well? You said you said you had patients? I, yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. I and, am a, and we, I'm, a, mm-hmm. I'm a nutritionist. Okay, excellent. All right, Katie, a, I appreciate it. a natural it. doctor, yeah. Right. And, and Dr. Batar, of course, we, we often recognize that vitamin C intravenous in high doses can do a lot of extraordinary things in, in terms of that. It's different necessarily uh, from eating food with vitamin C in it. So there are different forms of it. I'm a food guy. You know that. But there's a, a warranted reason for doing intravenous uh, in, influx of high doses as well. Well, you know, to let me just summarize this. And this is the reason that I think that a lot of the mainstream medical profession comes down on on some of the things that we try to do, Robert, is because this type of thought process is, and, and I, I please don't take this offensively because it's not meant as offensively, but this type of thought process is what actually makes people uh, in the mainstream laugh at us. Because look, if I'm sitting on the mainstream side and somebody came up with this uh, possibility of a solution, mm-hmm. I would say, okay, yeah, go ahead and do that and let's see how long that works for you. Because it's not going to work. I mean... Hold it. You're, you're saying the vitamin C from plants would not work? No. Absolutely not. I mean, you're talking Why about an that? extraordinary. You're talking about extraordinary insult to the system that is not a natural consequence of any scenario that was really set up uh, for the human system to deal with. And let's let's put it this way: anything that I'm saying that I would do, I would di- I would do it on public TV. I would be exposed to the Ebola, and I know exactly what I would do. I would certainly never take whole food vitamin C and think that's going to reverse that. In fact, I know that anybody who says that. When the proverbial poop hits the fan, they're going to be in an emergency room trying to figure out what to do because it's not going to. You see. Well, I, can I just one thing I just want to say is that I'm not saying that it's the the cure all, but I do know that you know the the daily requirements they say is only 60 milligrams, but that's if you're taking it from real food. If you were to equate that 60 milligrams to the synthetic. Uh, ascorbic acid that's on the market, I've heard it's going to be over 14,000 milligrams. You know, I've heard that it takes about 300,000 milligrams um, of, like, uh, vitamin C from the synthetic just to to keep it, you know. Sure, but Katie, I'm getting a a preventive maintenance versus, let's say, an aggressive intervention in a crisis that that could end your life in, in a matter of days with a hemorrhagic fever. Which may, right, but we it, want to do something now. We want to do stuff now. and that's, that's Yeah, I'd, I'd have for. no problem you taking it right now. We're not talking about being in the throes of a hemorrhagic fever outbreak, but preventing okay. it. Uh, for anybody to do that now, it's a great thing. It's not going to hurt anybody, and it's going to be beneficial. But if somebody has the thought that this is going to prevent you from getting Ebola or you're going to treat it, it's just, it's just not true. I mean, it's simply not going to work. Um, it's not even close to it, and I think it would be a disservice to people to make them feel like that that is a security because look I'm used to giving on on uh, let's see today is on 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 Friday I had for some strange reason I was I came in with long sleeves and my staff is looking at me what's going on it's 70 degrees outside I've got chills I've got 103 degree fever what did I do I took 100 grams of vitamin C and I took mist which is a type of silver intravenously okay so I took 100 Grams, which is 100,000 milligrams of vitamin C. So I am a big proponent of vitamin C. Don't get me wrong. But in a situation okay, can I say one thing about the vitamin C, though? But it, I yeah, hold on, Katie. We're up against okay, a break. Okay. Stand by, Katie. Okay, We're going to go take ahead. a break. We'll come back in the subject. It's a great discussion. I love this kind of stuff. 
And uh, Dr. Batar is here. It's Advanced Medicine, the Medical Rewind, and we're going to do some more of that. Katie's holding on in California. Great, great stuff going on here. RobertScottBell.com for all of the links. Check it out, including the archives for free all over planet Earth, right here at GCN and NaturalNewsRadio.com and beyond. Who'd you say that masked man was? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Robert Scott Bell. Here I come to save the day. I love it. This one goes out to the one I love. Vitamin L flowing freely here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rasha Bittar, Advanced Medicine, MedicalRewind.com, of course, RobertScottBell.com. And we are uh, you know, having a great discussion with Katie off the air. We're going to keep it up on the air. She had one more thing to say, and, and uh, we'll get this out, and then Dr. Bittar will respond. And, uh, again, Katie, thanks for uh, being with us and bearing with us. And uh, what was it you wanted to also relate? I want to make sure it gets out on the air. Well, here's the thing is that I know that, you know, that the good doc is feeling that maybe, you know, if you're, you're in, under, you know, like really getting sick from cancer or Ebola or whatever, that the the, the foods and, you know, the whole food vitamin Cs are not going to be the one things that are helping people. Um, and I was just saying, you know, basically I felt like that you needed to have hope also because that's part of the, the healing, even mm-hmm. in the most dire straits. But, you know, I had... Um, my son, who had a, a rare genetic blood disorder, and it had to do with um, very it probably he would wake up with bloody noses, bloody gums, bloodshot eyes, broken capillaries, bruises mm-hmm. everywhere. And and tell me that this does not sound like, I mean, he would have a terrible fever and he'd ache all over. Um, he wasn't having diarrhea or vomiting, but he wasn't having healthy stools. And 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 because of our rare genetic blood disorder. Um, you know, the people, the doctors were saying, you know, get him on vitamin C. And so, of course, I'm giving him the little fizzy things. And when I find out how they make that, they take the, the sugar from genetically modified corn and they use acetone, which is what women take their nail polish off with. And and, and clinically, what Right, it does and, is and this like, is not a form clinically that Dr. Batar is using, just so you know, intravenously. But, no, I know. And, yeah. I, I'm, I, and I love that he's totally, you know, when he does use it, he uses good stuff. I, I totally get that. Um, but my point was that, he, I was using that, and his kidneys were were ready to fail. He was, it wasn't helping him. And the doctor said, "I don't know what to do." He said he's 50 years ahead of his time. You know, he had broken capillaries all over his face at seven and a half years old. And um, to wake up, you think I, at one point somebody questioned whether or not I I would hit my child. Right, right. The bruising was so bad. Of course, I, I see. Now, I see homeopathic silicea, silicon deficiencies as well. You use whole food nutrition, and again, exactly. we all support that. Too. Again, we're talking also the distinction between triaging somebody with a hemorrhagic fever or a severe cancer that's eating away at their entire system and having to get people from the brink of death back to where their system right. functions and they can even eat as well. And Katie, your points are well taken, and I appreciate you calling well, in you so very much. Dr. Batar, I, I, we're running out of time, Katie. I apologize. But Dr. Batar, just to kind of lay it out, I think it was an interesting discussion. I think in the end, we're, we're largely in agreement, but it's a matter of the right course of action in the right moment at the right time. Well, you know, the type of scenario she's talking about with her child, and we just had a child. Uh, I've treated probably about four children now with similar type of uh, findings, one of them to the point that the child was having seizures so bad from Ireland. Uh, we've got pictures of, I mean, just unbelievable, macerated that parents have been accused of uh, abusing the child. Uh, this, the whole, the, very similar type of things, you know, the seizure activity, 
spontaneous bleeding, uh, excoriation to the point of almost non-recognition, and on top of that, the child had a developmental delay, et cetera, et cetera, and just a huge cascade, all started after vaccines. The point is that these, all these types of scenarios, and we've got many of these types of cases that we've seen, it was all a toxicity issue. And the reason her child responded to the vitamin C is because, again, there's an oxidative injury from the metals and from all the seven toxicities, and here she gave vitamin C, a good source of vitamin C, which is an antioxidant, so it buffered her. But the, to think that the vitamin C is what cured the child, it's a, well, let's put it this way, Robert, if that's all she did and she didn't remove the toxicity, she's got a rude awakening coming in the next six months, year, two years, three years down the road, when these symptoms start to return again, when the vitamin C isn't sufficient to compensate. The key is detoxification. If you don't detoxify the body, you are going to leave the oxidative stressor present, and it will continue to create a problem. If you take any type of antioxidant, which is great, don't get me wrong, I think vitamin mm -hmm. C is great. I, I use it all the time. But if you rely on an antioxidant and you get an improvement and you get a resolution of your symptoms and you sit back and you go, oh, vitamin C did this or oligomeric right, right. did this or whatever, you've got a false sense of security because all you've done is negate the oxidative stress with the antioxidant. And as soon as the body can't compensate anymore and you can't keep on giving more and more vitamin C because at a certain point, you're going to have a cathartic effect. The child won't be able to tolerate it orally. Bingo, you're going to end up having resurfacing of the same symptomology. Right. And we're not saying Katie has only done that. We don't know. We don't have enough time to go further into it because she sounds like a very intelligent woman and doing some great things. Uh, and the success is, is you know, as, as I've said and as you said, if you could do it just with vitamin C and that would solve everything, we'd be the first to go, hey, congratulations. But we're concerned about that long-range scenario of the detox of the whole body. And then that includes the mental and spiritual toxicities as well, as you talk about hope as well. So, Dr. Batar, man, it goes too fast. What a great episode. It was. It was fast. <laughs> really good. Katie, thank you for calling. Love to hear back from you as well. Very sweet of you to, to chime in on that and discuss it. All right. Well, that's it. Go. The Quest for the Cure is coming up. More of Dr. Batar on the truth about cancer. And I've got another radio show to do. Just tell your friends the power to heal is theirs as it is yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.